Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective live in Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Dungwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Diplomatic row is brewing between Cameroon and Nigeria. Boko Haram attacks a, a hampering development in Nigeria and South Africa's ruling ANC leaders meet in Pretoria. In economics news, South Africa to harvest 15 million tons of maize this season and in sports news, Tabo Senong to take charge of Bafana Bafana in Chan qualifier. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Three international rights experts have been appointed by the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights to examine grave abuses in the Kasai region of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The development follows the adoption of a resolution by the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva in June. At the time, member states highlighted the existence of mass graves, serious sexual violence and the use of child soldiers in the vast central zone of the DRC. The UN Human Rights Office, the OHCHR, has documented reports of summary executions and other killings, including children. OHCHR spokesperson Ravina Shamdasani. So the team has been mandated to collect information to determine the facts and circumstances, including by visiting the sites where these violations are alleged to have taken place. So we count on the cooperation of the government of the DRC to facilitate these visits and access to the country, to the sites, to relevant people. And it's also very important that the government understands that this team of experts has been mandated to look into violations committed regardless of who the perpetrators are. The U.S. military says a mission in Somalia has detained a suspected associate of the Al-Shabaab extremist group who once lived in the United States. Abdurazak Talil is accused of facilitating the use of improvised explosive devices in Somalia and is detained by the Somali government. The Trump administration recently approved stepped-up military efforts against Al-Shabaab, which is Africa's deadliest Islamic extremist group. The mission that captured Talil was led by the Somali military with limited tactical advisory support from the U.S. Rwandan presidential hopefuls are campaigning in a bid to convince voters to pick them in the upcoming elections on the 4th of next month. Incumbent President Paul Kagame, who is seeking a third term in office, attended a rally in Rohingya, where thousands of supporters turned up to listen. He's widely admired for restoring stability after Rwanda's 1994 genocide, presiding over rapid economic growth and a relatively corruption-free government. Opposition candidate Frank Habineza of the Democratic Green Party of Rwanda attended a rally in Rolindo. His platform includes investing in agriculture, increasing salaries for the security forces and ending political detentions. 
South Africa's ruling ANC has warned its presidential hopefuls to stop trying to reformulate policies of the organization. This follows reports that Linduwe Sisulu, who wants to be the next ANC president at the December elective conference, has suggested that there be an amnesty for President Jacob Zuma for crimes he is alleged to have committed. Sisulu argued that this could rescue the party's battered image, but ANC spokesperson Zizikotwa says there's never been any discussion about amnesty in the ANC for Zuma. We would like to warn the presidential hopeful candidates that in spite of the fact that we have not announced and declared for nomination, they have went ahead to accept nomination, some of them, to declare themselves available, that they are not spokespersons of the ANC. They must not replace structures of the ANC. Their uncontrollable desire for power must come to an end. They must not formulate and announce things on behalf of the ANC, including formulating policies of the ANC. There is no discussion in the ANC called amnesty. Sometimes when people are faced with microphones and cameras and active audience, they may say things that they are not supposed to say. And we advise them that it may be too early to make these pronouncements. They are not yet presidents of the ANC. And finally, there's been a dramatic increase in the use of breastfeeding in South Africa. According to the South African Demographic and Health Survey, a third of South African children under six months old are now exclusively breastfed. This is almost five times the figure two decades ago and represents an increase of almost 32% in 2016. The increase is believed to be the result of partnerships between the Provincial Health Department and the South African Breast Milk Reserve. Deputy Director of Nutrition at the Limpopo Province's Department of Health, Daddy Matthews. We are very delighted with the rates that we are seeing at the moment. We are going all out also using our, we call them ward-based outreach teams to go into communities, speaking to young mothers, speaking to the grandmothers to make sure that mothers that are going to work can express their breast milk and leave it with them at home so that mothers who are at work can continuously breastfeed their babies. So this milk that they have expressed can stay for about eight hours on a cool surface. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now a diplomatic row is brewing between Cameroon and Nigeria following reports that 97 fishermen have been killed in the Bakasi Peninsula which Nigeria ceded to Cameroon. Reports say that the killings happened when a Cameroonian paramilitary unit was enforcing a $300 fishing levy. Nigeria has accused Cameroon of breaching the 2005 Green Tea Agreement between the two countries to protect the citizens of the ceded areas from harm. A five-year UN-backed transition period was put in place, exempting the area's residents, many of them Nigerian fishermen, from paying tax. Collins Atohengbe has more from Lagos. 
The incident saw thousands of Nigerians running for their lives in boats to the neighboring Cross River State in Nigeria, with tales of woes and a feeling of loss to which their host is yet to respond, even as they sought explanation and redress for the wrong done them. The fleeing Nigerians, some of them refugees who had gone to the island for safety from Boko Haram, said Yaoundé has raised taxes requirement for Nigerians and restricted their fishing rights in addition to laying official demand for astronomical cost of accommodation, failing which they were evicted and herded out of Bakasi by government security forces who not only molested them but killed a number of them also. Reacting to the incident, an octogenarian and a former federal minister from Niger Delta region, which has lots of its people in Bakasi, Chief Edwin Clark, says Nigerian government has not done the needful to settle the Bakasi issue beyond the former signing of the Green Tree Agreement, which was supervised by the former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan. There was a Green Tree Agreement signed by the Nigerian government and the Cameroon government to guarantee what should be done to Nigerians who were on the Cameroon side now. The federal government, the president, hurriedly signed this agreement with the Cameroon government, Obasanjo and Paul Bia. The Senate of Nigeria said for the treaty to be valid, it won't be ratified by the National Assembly. Till today, that agreement has not been ratified. This warning was given to the federal government. For no reason, the federal government hurriedly withdrew our troops, our Nigerians under the Green Tree Treaty. Where to remain to be in Cameroon, to, to not change their name to, to Cameroon, remain Nigeria, maintain their culture, maintain their standard of living, everything they were to be in Nigeria in another country. The United Nations, they warned last year that the people in Bakasi will soon become stateless. Federal government did not say anything. But when this thing happened, people have been harassed, people have been killed, people have been raped. An expert on international law, Femi Falana, says it will appear that the Green Tree Agreement is of no consequence because it was rejected by the Nigerian National Assembly, which was expected to have reviewed and approved it before it can become operational in line with Nigeria's constitution. Indeed, the National Assembly has been consistent in rejecting the ceding of Bakasi Peninsula by the executive since 2006 that attempts have been made by the government of Nigeria to comply with section 12 of the constitution, which states that no treaty signed between Nigeria and another country can come into force without enactment into law by the National Assembly. Since that request was made under President Lucia Gombasanjo and under President Yaradua, the National Assembly rejected the treaty. And as far as international law is concerned, or the constitution of Nigeria is concerned, that is the end of the matter. Anything predicated on a treaty rejected by the National Assembly is an illegality. So what happened with the handing over of Bakasi to uh, Cameroon was the height of executive lawlessness, which is not tolerated by the Constitution. Because both Nigeria and Cameroon operate under two different legal systems. Whereas under the Francophone legal system, you have what they call the monist theory. Once the president of a francophone country signs a treaty, I mean, comes into force automatically. But under our own legal system, under the Anglo legal system, you have what you call 
dualist theory. After the executive might have ratified or signed a treaty, the imprimatur of the legislature is required before such a treaty can come into force in a country like Nigeria. But that was not done in this case. And so it's not even a question of the whole process of handing over being equate. It's an exercise in futility. How then can the issue arising from Bakasi Debako be resolved in a way as to avoid a looming diplomatic feud which Abuja and could be engulfed in because of the already frayed nerves, especially due to the reports of mistreatment which has now been reported to Abuja, triggering a Nigerian Senate letter to the United Nations. As Spokes Dujarik of the UN says, the world body is closely monitoring development in Bakasi and Environ and Cameroon will need to do more by adhering to agreed terms of the Green Tree Treaty, under which Abuja will not need to sleep with one eye open on Bakasi, because as it stands, though the treaty could have become operational in Cameroon, it is still awaiting a Senate approval before it can become law in Nigeria. We've uh, continued to monitor closely the situation in the northwest and southwest regions of Cameroon through the UN Regional Office for Central Africa, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, and our own UN country team. The UN reiterates its call to the Cameroonian authorities to abide by its international human rights uh, commitments. With regard to the Pakasi Peninsula, the UN support team to the Cameroon-Nigeria Mixed Commission is currently on the ground working with Cameroonian and Nigerian authorities to clarify the situation and find the best way to address the needs of displaced Nigerian nationals. The, the Green Tree Treaty provides for the continued residency of Nigerians who number over 80% of the population of Bakasi as they were before the treaty. Yaoundé could make things easier by not applying the alleged double standard in the implementation of its local laws because it could spark hostility between brothers. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Colin Satohingwe for Channel Africa News. Northeast Nigeria's problems are principally due to long-term development failures compounded by a Boko Haram terrorist insurgency that's provoked a crisis of global magnitude. That's the view of UN Development Programme Resident Representative for Nigeria, Edward Callan, who is also UN Humanitarian Coordinator there. On Wednesday, the UN Refugee Agency launched an appeal for an extra $9.5 million US dollars to scale up its activities in the Northeast to deal with an unexpected surge in Nigerian refugees returning from neighboring countries. UN Radio's Matt Wells asked Edward Callan to outline UNDP's priorities in Nigeria's northeast, where the Boko Haram extremist insurgency began eight years ago. The problems in northeast are due principally to development failures over the years, which have been compounded by human rights, governance deficit, poverty, and climate vulnerabilities. And of course the Boko Haram insurgency. Correct. We are dealing with a crisis of global magnitude in Northeast Nigeria as a result of the Boko Haram insurgency, which started way back in 2009, and uh, an estimated 20,000 people have been killed as a result of that insurgency. We are talking about a serious protection concern yeah, with uh, over 1.9 million people displaced, 14 million people affected, of which 8.5 million people need urgent humanitarian assistance. But the crisis should be also seen as an opportunity, an opportunity in the sense to try for once again to look at the root causes of that crisis. It's interesting that you say that the development deficit was 
there and has been there for many decades, it seems. For many, many and decades. And the, the insurgency has just exposed that. It's that the insurgency has just compounded it. We started off with a very clear vision in northeast Nigeria to try to save lives in the short term, but try to build it around a resilience-based approach. And we define resilience in the northeast Nigeria as an approach where we can help people to cope with the impact of the crisis, the Boko Haram insurgency, and also support them to recover from those impacts of this crisis and engage in transformative change. The United Nations Development Program came in with, to link the transition from humanitarian assistance into early recovery and longer-term development. What is it that you need most to happen in the next few months in order to, to help to uh, really dampen down effectively the effects of the insurgency and the return of these many hundreds of thousands of people? We need peace. We need a solution to the Boko Haram insurgency. And we also need a political process uh, to complement the ongoing military effort so that we can try to engage with all parties <clears throat> to this conflict to find durable solutions. And uh, we also need some levels of investment, especially from the government of Nigeria, to support uh, people to start rebuilding their lives. And I also call on the international community to provide the required resources that will enable the international community to save lives in the short term, but also invest in early recovery development moving ahead. That's UNDP Resident Representative for Nigeria, Edward Cullen, who is also UN Humanitarian Coordinator there, speaking to UN Radio's Matt Wells. It's 8.17 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now, let's go back in time to today in 1921. Canadian researcher Frederick Banting and his assistant Charles Best succeeded in isolating the hormone insulin at the University of Toronto. That was today in history in the year 1921. Channel Africa. South Africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Africa, rise and shine. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Reviving the South African economy and attracting investors back into the country will be high on the agenda of the ruling ANC National Executive Committee meeting, which starts in Pretoria later this morning. This is the first meeting of the governing party's highest decision-making body since its National Policy Conference. The one-day meeting of the highest decision-making body of the governing party will be followed by the three-day NEC Lekhotla. Ndeba Mokobo has more. All eyes will be on the ANC starting today until Sunday as its highest decision-making body, the NEC, ponders on reports that the country is technically on recession and a barrage of the Gupta emails. And the governing party says with the slow growth and rocketing unemployment, the state of the economy is said to be an issue of discussion as party spokesperson Zizi Koto explains. 
The Lekhutla takes place at a time when our economy is faced with a number of challenges. However, the agenda of the meeting will still have to be verified and adopted by the meeting, but it's important that it will focus on the state of the economy. The state of the economy is such that if it's not dealt with and we don't come with a plan to trigger economic trajectory, we may find ourselves in a much more difficult situation. And therefore, I think as we meet for the next coming four days, we must come up with a plan that, among others, it must restore confidence to international and domestic investors. At the same time, it must trigger growth, which may create jobs and grow the economy. Economy. Thirdly, it must inspire hope to South Africans that the African National Congress and its government, indeed, it is in charge. The ANC also had a stern warning for ministers who communicate mixed messages on government policies, which is often blamed for impacting negatively on investor confidence. We mustn't send mixed messages to our people as leaders of the ANC. That high level of ill-discipline must come to an end. And it was important that we carry that message from the policy conference, that we can't see leaders of government coming from the same government, speaking different languages about what is radical socio-economic transformation. That issue has not been clarified by conference. Our immediate task is important between now and the 2019 election. So, President, it's important that we re-emphasize that message even as we meet for the next four days, that high levels of ill-discipline, people speaking in terms of their departmental program, we must speak as one government. Koto was also unrelenting on the conduct of ANC MP Dr. Makosi Koza, saying the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal is within its right to charge her. Makosi Koza will not be disciplined on the basis of what she says. She will be disciplined on the basis of her conduct. She has become incorrigible. She has gone beyond that somebody who has made a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's flagrant defiant of the party discipline. She has continued in spite of advices and attempts to get hold of her by the leadership of the ANC. So KwaZulu-Natal has every right to discipline her because she comes from that province. She went to parliament through what is called provincial to national. And therefore they've got every right and their responsibility. She's still a member of the ANC. She can't act as though she's a free agent. She can do whatever she wishes. The African National Congress must rain on members like her. Something that you may not be aware of. There are a number of NEC that have been called to appear before the officials. She has been evading all those calls. Jackson appeared before the officials. Gungubele appeared before. PG have been called by the SG. You would have seen a change in a number of them who have been making these public calls. Zizi Kotwa also urged presidential hopefuls to stop trying to formulate policies of the ANC. This follows reports that Lindy Wesisulu, who wants to become ANC president, has suggested that there be an amnesty for President Jacob Zuma for crimes he's alleged to have committed. Kotwa says there's never been any discussion on amnesty for the president in the ANC. We would like to warn the presidential hopeful candidates that in spite of the fact that we have not announced and declared for nomination, they have went ahead to accept nomination, some of them, to declare themselves available, that they are not spokespersons of the ANC. They must not replace structures of the ANC. Their uncontrollable desire for power must come to an end. They must not formulate and announce things on behalf of the ANC, including formulating policies of the ANC. There is no discussion in the ANC called amnesty. Sometimes when people are faced with microphones and cameras and active audience, they may say things that they are not supposed to say. And we advise them that it may be too early to make these pronouncements. They are not yet presidents of the ANC. And with the daily revelations of the alleged corrupt dealings between some in government and in the state-owned companies with the Gupta family, Kodwa says the ANC will steer clear from that family, insisting that it is up to those close to the Guptas to decide on their continued relationship with the influential family. We distance ourselves from the Guptas as African National Congress. They have got nothing to do with us, we've got nothing to do with them. And whatever allegations that are made about individuals who are members of the ANC who are occupying, it's about those individuals and not about the ANC. We can't speak on behalf of those individuals.
as the African Eastern Congress, we've got nothing to do with the Guptas. Individuals who are mentioned have got their responsibility politically to take a stand. If the allegations are contained in the report about individuals, I understand said yes and confirmed the email. You need such individuals who are bold on behalf of the organization. Whatever process that shall be followed is something else. We want everybody to take a stand in action because these allegations contained are quite serious. Several party structures, including Alliance Partners, have since requested the Gupta family to give the ANC space to do its work without interference. I am Tebu Mokobe in Johannesburg. South Africa's parliament says the decision to allow the use of a secret ballot during the debate on a vote of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma is still under consideration. It says National Assembly Speaker Balegambete is requesting political parties to grant her space to consider the matter thoroughly. Parties have criticized Mbete for the delay on whether she will allow a secret ballot or not. There is just 13 days left for the National Assembly to debate the motion as our parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Bissen tells us. The Constitutional Court has recently ruled that Mbete has the power to use her discretion to allow the use of a secret ballot as provided for in the National Assembly rules. So far, Mbete has not yet indicated whether she will approve a secret ballot or that an open vote will prevail, where MPs will either have to press the yes, no or abstain buttons from their allocated seats. Parliament spokesperson Moloto Mutapo says Mbete has to consider all the factors before taking the final decision. If you look at the fact of the constitutional court judgment, it means that uh, such a, an important decision cannot uh, be taken in haste. Uh, there has to be a thorough process of considering wide range of factors of ensuring that the uh, the imperatives of our democracy, of ensuring that uh, the MPs are able to, to to advance their constitutional function of conducting oversight over the executive. So that is a uh, it is a decision that uh, cannot be taken in haste uh, or overnight. Uh, it has to be properly considered to ensure that uh, whatever decision that she takes. The UDM that took Mbete to the Concord over the secret ballot is not happy that the Speaker has not yet taken the final decision on the voting procedure. UDM leader Bantu Holomisa says they will announce the next step if she does not allow the use of a secret ballot. Balek Mbete has been playing uh, games with this uh, secret ballot. You will recall that uh, when we requested it, she said uh, she has no powers. Now that uh, she's got powers, why is she not taking a decision? So it's clear that uh, this individual is conflicted, and uh, we will see. We, we will see it when she finally takes that decision, even if it is on the eve of that day. We'll tell South Africans what steps are we taking. The EFF has already threatened court action if Mbete fails to allow the use of a secret ballot. EFF Chief Whip Floyd Shibambu. Now look, the EFF is waiting on the Speaker to give us the decision on the usage of secret ballot so that we know what is the next step to take because if she doesn't plan the secret ballot, we're going to immediately approach the courts to seek an order that will declare such a decision irrational because uh, there is all material basis that demand a secret ballot to be given by the Speaker of the National Assembly so that all members of Parliament can vote in 
confidence and then they know that they can vote their conscience, not through uh, their partisan loyalty. Ahang parliamentary leader Andris Loyama, whose party was the first one to challenge Baleka Mbete to allow the use of a secret ballot in the High Court in Cape Town in 2015, says it will be a waste of time if Mbete does not approve the use of a secret ballot. She, she should have responded. I don't know what, why is she taking such a long time. It is, it is my belief that all political parties in parliament should not allow this motion of no confidence to go without the secret ballot because it will be a waste of time. We said it in 2015 and we still believe that a secret ballot is needed. If this president still uh, enjoy the confidence of members of parliament, why is the speaker and this president afraid of the secret ballot? The ANC in parliament has reiterated that it will welcome any decision by Mbete, even if it's a secret ballot or an open vote. Meanwhile, ANC MP Makosi Koza, who's also in favor of a secret ballot, has been charged by the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal and has received the charge sheet. That report by Mercedes Percent in parliament. Let's go back in time to today in 1974. The House Judiciary Committee voted 27 to 11 to adopt the first of three articles of impeachment against President Richard Nixon. That was today in history in the year 1974. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. (laughs) Well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. It's 8.30 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, um, and Musan. The headlines, Rwandan presidential hopefuls campaign in a bid to convince voters to pick them in the upcoming elections on the 4th of next month. Egyptian police have shot dead four militants, arresting two others accused of involvement in the mid-July killing of five policemen and three international rights experts appointed to examine grave abuses in the Kasai region of the Democratic Republic of the Congo.
Thank you, Anne. Achieving the Sustainable Development Goals will not be possible without investing more in women. That's the view of UN Deputy Secretary-General Amina Mohamed, who led a high-level group of women leaders to two African countries this month. Joining Mohamed in Nigeria and the Democratic Republic of Congo were the Executive Director of UN Women, the UN Special Representative on Sexual Violence in Conflict, and the African Union Special Envoy on Women, Peace and Security. Diane Penn reports. Speaking during their first stop in Nigeria's capital, Abuja, Ms. Mohammed stated that the delegation had come to the continent to discuss the general issues of peace, security and development with an emphasis on women's rights and empowerment. We know that uh, from the economy to stability and peace, we're not able to achieve our goals if we're only investing in half of the population. It is a nation and a continent's greatest asset, the human resource. Women are often half of it, but lack the investments that we need. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, have been described as a to-do list for creating a world where no one is left behind. They were agreed by world leaders two years ago and have a deadline of 2030. Ms. Mohammed noted that the push for sustainable development had become more complex in recent years, and although SDGs such as ending extreme poverty and providing education were important, new factors had to be taken into account. The context that we are living in is that of conflict, extremism that is within many of um, our countries, and in particular Nigeria. So here, what we really want to do is to hear and bring the messages um, of women, women in decision-making, women who bear the brunt and carry the burden of many of the tragedies that we see, uh, to see how we can come out of this, how we can be a constructive partner in finding the solutions to sustainable development. The Democratic Republic of the Congo has also been plagued by conflict and other challenges, and the UN deputy chief said the delegation hoped the DRC's women will help to change the narrative. At a meeting with officials in the capital, Kinshasa, she also outlined aspirations related to the elections slated to be held before the end of the year. Ms. Mohammed said women must be part of the process. DRC is exceptional in that it has a constitution, it has a law, but it must reinforce that law to implement the participation and parity of women. A parity of women beyond the numbers, to see them in decision making, to see a very good opportunity for monitoring of the elections, that it is inclusive, that it is fair, that opposition itself has a place because in every democracy a vibrant opposition is the integrity and the hope for uh, strengthening the foundations for democracy. UN Deputy Secretary-General Amina Mohamed speaking to reporters in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Diane Penn, United Nations. Thousands of faithful Muslims in South Africa's coastal city of Cape Town joined a protest march organized by the Muslim Judicial Council and the Al-Quds Foundation to Parliament yesterday. They are protesting against the installation of security cameras at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem. This follows the recent shooting of two Israeli policemen at the holy site. Yesterday, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was pressured to remove the metal detectors installed to boost security at Islam's third holiest site. The surveillance cameras are seen to be insensitive to the rights and privacy of the Muslims in the area. Mlamli Maneli reports. While Israel has decided to remove the metal detectors installed at the entrance to the holy site, pressure remains to do the same with the security cameras. This comes after days of violent confrontation that have claimed several lives. 
MJC second deputy president Sheikh Riyad Fatah says the aim of the march is not only to demonstrate solidarity but also to raise awareness around the issues in Palestine. Today we are more saddened and we are more frustrated because an important international principle has been taken away and that is the right to religion, the right of worship and the freedom to worship. While we see that the illegitimate state of Israel has put all of these barriers in place in the week that has passed and continue to put cameras to monitor people, we ask where is freedom of religion? The thousands of marchers carried colorful placards with the words Hands of Al-Aqsa Mosque and Free Palestine. Some displayed banners with similar messages along with the Palestine flag in support of the Palestine struggle for freedom. The grandson of former President Nelson Mandela, Chief Manja Mandela, who last year converted to Islam, joined the marchers. He called for the closure of the Israeli embassy in South Africa. We are here today as the Mandela royal family to pledge our full support to the plight of the Palestinian people. As Madiba said that uh, our uh, freedom is not complete without the freedom of the Palestinian people. We therefore want to continue where he left off. Young people, some still clad in school uniform, came out in their numbers. This is what they had to say. Well, I'm here to support my sisters and brothers in Palestine. They're all um, going through tough times and we want to support how we can because we can't go over there and fight, but we are, we are young and we can walk from that place to this place and march and strive for what we believe is right. I'm participating to um, show that I support Palestine and I'm against um, Zionism and apartheid in Palestine and just basically um, here to support my religion as well. Chairperson of the South African Zionist Federation Cape Council, Rowan Polovin, says calls for South Africa to put pressure on Israel will not yield any results. Our reaction is that there needs to be dialogue and discussion um, between Israel and the Palestinians and we don't believe that any sort of calls for unilateral action taken by South Africa is going to be an effective strategy in promoting this peace and promoting this dialogue. An Israeli delegation is expected to visit Parliament when MPs return from their recess in August, but calls are already mounting to have the delegation's visas revoked. Protests are expected to continue, and a call for fasting tomorrow in solidarity has been made. I'm Lam Limaneli in Cape Town. It's 8.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa. The White House says the president's decision to ban transgender individuals from serving in the United States military was purely a military decision and that the details of the new policy are still being worked out. President Donald Trump tweeted early Wednesday that transgender people would no longer be accepted or allowed to serve in the military in any capacity. The series of tweets said American forces must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory and could not afford to accommodate such individuals. LGBTQ supporters and several Democratic lawmakers have derided the president's decision. Show and Bryce Peace reports. 
Despite promising as a candidate to fight for the LGBTQ community, early Wednesday morning tweets announcing the ban on transgender individuals from serving in the military appear to have placed the president on a different course. His White House Press Secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The president has uh, a lot of support uh, for all Americans and certainly wants to protect all Americans at all times. The president's expressed concern since this Obama policy came into effect. Uh, but he's also voiced that this is a very expensive and disruptive policy. And based on consultation that he's had with his national security team, uh, came to the conclusion that it erodes military readiness and unit cohesion and uh, made the decision based on that. Sanders insisted that this was purely a military decision, but was pressed on how the new policy would affect the thousands of transgender service members already serving in the military. Implementation policy is going to be something that the White House and the Department of Defense have to work together to lawfully determine and um, you know I would imagine the Department of Defense will be the lead on that and keep you posted as that ha- takes place. There was an immediate backlash among them from the leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives Nancy Pelosi. The Pentagon spends five times more on Viagra mm. Uh, than it does for transition-related care. Five times more on Viagra. This morning's tweets reveal a president with no respect for the courageous men and women who risk their lives to defend our freedoms. This disgusting ban will weaken our military and land that it defends. The new policy reverses a decision by the administration of former President Barack Obama to allow transgender people to serve openly in the United States military. Listen to then-Defense Secretary Ash Carter. Our mission is to defend this country, and we don't want barriers unrelated to a person's qualification to serve preventing us from recruiting or retaining the soldier, sailor, airman, or marine who can best accomplish the mission. We have to have access to 100% of America's population for our all-volunteer force to be able to recruit from among them the most highly qualified and to retain them. The president and CEO of the LGBT network, David Kilmnick, was not very diplomatic in his reaction to the president's decision. I'm sorry, but he's a psychopath, <laughs> you know, um, and he's delusional. Um, and so, and we have to do so because there are lives at stake. There are lives at stake. Our young transgender kids' lives are at stake. And we cannot rest for a second um, on, on letting anything that President Trump or anyone in his administration uh, does that threatens their value, their worth, their dignity as human beings and Americans. Barbara, who only gave her first name, is a Vietnam War veteran and a transgender woman. When I woke up this morning and I saw the uh, news, I was devastated. I thought we had come such a long, long way, especially in the military, which as a veteran, I am so proud that I served my country. But this is a major, major setback for us. It seems like everywhere you turn around, there are people discriminated against the trans community for one reason or another, and none of it makes sense. We're just people like everybody else. The Defense Department earlier referred all queries to the White House, an indication that they were kept in the dark about this major policy shift announced with no additional information, barring 
the president's tweets. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. Four illegal miners have died after a rockfall at the disused Agnes mine outside South Africa's Mpumalanga province. It is alleged that the incident occurred shortly after a blast took place at the mine. Police have now once again called on the residents to refrain from mining illegally. But of all of the illegal miners, they say they will continue with the illegal mining due to lack of job opportunities. Mtobisi Mkalipi reports. A journey to dig for gold that ended tragically. Family members of the illegal miners were in shock after the bodies were brought to the surface. Their hopes of seeing their loved ones alive have been dashed. Some family members of the deceased say they spent the whole day waiting for the bodies of their loved ones to be recovered. The bodies of the four illegal miners were retrieved by other illegal miners. Police spokesperson Jolie Bembe has confirmed that the mine is no longer operational. The Zamazamas were blasting inside the mine. Then by the time they went down to go and check or whatever they do after blasting, then apparently the area became unstable or something. Then a rock or there was a caving and the ground came and buried those people. Some illegal miners and their family members say the illegal mining will continue as long as there are no job opportunities. The most painful thing is that our children are unemployed and you will find that there are many people who died here before. Let the government create job opportunities, then they will stop illegal mining. This is painful to us as the affected families. Meanwhile, the remains of Pritin Kambule, Yuvon Mnisi and Pritin Yarenda, who were trapped underground after the container they were working in fell into a sinkhole at the nearby Lily Gold Mine last year have never been recovered. I'm Toby Simkalipi in Babaton, Pumalaga. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoku. Thanks, Lulu. Mozambique's Minister of Minerals, Resources and Energy, Leticia Clements, has invited international energy companies, financial institutions and scientific research bodies to invest in Mozambique. Clements launched the invitation at a meeting organized by Chatham House Royal Institute for International Affairs, explaining that Mozambique was a market with huge potential in all sectors of activity, particularly energy. South Africa will harvest 15.696 million tons of maize this season, the biggest crop on record after improved weather conditions across the maize belt boosted yields. The estimate is up 2% compared to the June forecast of 15.6 million tons. The previous record harvest of 15.656 million tons was set in 1981. South African insurance company MyWay says it will not publicize the name of the client it claims sent a racist and offensive email. An email purportedly from an employee said the company would reject 90% of claims made by black people and labeled them as baboons. MyWay said earlier that an independent forensic audit had shown that the offensive email was fake 
and had been sent by a disgruntled client. MyWay's CEO, Renee Ortol, explains. You certainly can't do nothing, but everyone wants us to just name and shame the person. And I think it makes us then put us at the same level uh, almost as what he's done, and we had the opportunity to think about it. He probably didn't think much and acted out of anger. So I just don't want to, to do anything in, out of anger or out of revenge or out of spite and, and think carefully and, and, and also try to understand what made this person act in this way. Nigerian stocks have surged 3.4% to a 32-month high on improving sentiment after several mid-sized listed firms announced increases in half-year earnings. The main share index rose for the third straight day on Wednesday, nearing the 37,000-point level last reached in November 2014. Analysts say several medium-sized listed companies, which supply services to larger ones, have announced increases in half-year profits. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.1 in South Africa. It's at 10.7 in Botswana and at 8.80 in Zambia. 7.6 to the British pound, 0.85 to the euro. Gold, $1,264. Platinum is at $929 an ounce. Brand crude, $50. 87 cents a barrel. Channel Africa. Our sports updates up next with Pigile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, South Africa's Biz Hub Highford Lions bowling coach Gordon Parsons believes that England need to brace themselves for a rested and raring to go, Kahiso Rabada's return for the third of four tests against England today at the Kia Oval. Rabada, who plays under Parsons at the Lions, was suspended by the ICC for the Trent Bridge Victorious Test after accumulating four demerit points during the first test at Lords. The England-born Parsons says Rabada will learn from his mistake in the unforgiving professional and international arena. Yeah, look, I mean, it's uh, he's going to be well-rested now. He's had a week off, so he'll be fine. I'm sure he's been bowling in the nets. Um, it all seems pretty trivial and petty and the sort of bigger picture, but uh, obviously he'll learn from it and he'll learn to control it a bit better. Obviously, when you're under the microscope, which international cricketers are, particularly these days with stun mics and high-definition cameras, etc., you know, you've got to be very aware of it and, and understand that we're in the entertainment business and we've got role models to, to look, you know, look after. So it's very important people like KG are very much idolised, so it is important that he obviously keeps it all under control. In football news, in an effort to ensure that Bafana Bafana head coach Stuart Baxter is fully focused on getting the team to the 2018 World Cup in Russia next year, South African Football Association President Denny Jordan says they will let assistant coach Thabo Sinong take over the Chan qualifiers. Jordan says Sinong is capable of leading Bafana on his own against Zambia in the Chan qualifiers. We will confirm it, but you accept from me it's confirmed. You see, let's see where we started. You see, we started by saying in this year and next year, 
we have four competitions. We had the Kosafa Cup, we had the Chan, we had AFCON, and we have World Cup qualifiers. We have four competitions. Now, you saw how they play. The, the, the uh, Kosafa Cup ended on Sunday. The next Sunday they were into Chan. The next Sunday into Chan. Can we have our one team to play all those matches? We can't. So let's not do that. Let us celebrate our team having beaten Nigeria. Take them out completely. Uh, and then take these young boys and let them play there. Bafana will play Zambia in the second and the third weekend of next month with the first leg at home. The winner qualifies for the Chan tournament in Kenya in January 2018. Baxter flew out to Europe last night to link up with some of the players he would like to convince to play for Bafana, like Juventus and Swiss-born right-back Joel Untasi. We have to now, we're going into August, we have to start preparing for a very crucial away game against Cape Verde. The coach must start preparing. He has not been to Europe to go and speak to the players. He must go to Europe. We said to him, go and just uh, untersee. Go and talk to him and let us close the door if it's not interest. With interest, then let us know. Speak to other players that we have never engaged with there in Europe so that you have an overall picture of what you have available for that crucial crash. Now, he can't do that, and at the same time, he must prepare the team for a Chan qualifications against Zambia. So we have to get our priorities right. Our priority is want to qualify for AFCON, qualify for the World Cup. That's our priority. It's not to say that the Chan is not a priority, but it's a developmental priority for us, and therefore Sanong is quite com- uh, capable to deal with that aspect. And finally, with aquatics, South Africa's Chad Leclaw has won the men's 200-meter butterfly gold medal at the World Championship after defeating home crowd favorite Laszlo Scher, the defending champion in Budapest, Hungary, on Wednesday. Leclaw, the 2012 Olympic champion, clocked 1 minute 53.33 seconds with Hungary's Scher 0.39 seconds behind, taking silver and Japan's Daiya Seto, earning bronze at 0.88 seconds. Having won the world title in 2013, Leclerc took silver behind Shea two years ago in Kazan. Meanwhile, Britain's Adam Peaty narrowly missed out on another world record as he won the men's 50-meter breaststroke gold at the World Championship to complete the sprint double. Peaty, already a winner in the 100-meter, clocked 25.99 seconds, just 0.04 seconds short of his record-setting time in yesterday's semifinals. With Brazil, Joao Gomes Jr., taking silver 0.53 seconds behind. South Africa's Cameroon for the Berg and bronze at 0.61 seconds. That's the sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, Raz and Shan at the Sawa diplomatic row is brewing between Cameroon and Nigeria. 
Boko Haram attacks are hampering development in Nigeria and South Africa's ruling ANC leaders meet in Pretoria. That wraps up Africa Raz and Shan today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Khomuzo Mopulane, technical producer Sitlin Dilbu and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Shine Africa or send a WhatsApp message on 277 or you can also send us a message on 277-969-57930. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. As Maywe with a song titled Nanan. <laughs> Yeah, Bible